0: Welcome to the JMS Podcast. My name's Jorge Sanchez, and thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is filmmaker Dana Knackman. She is best known for her recent documentary, Bat Kid Begins. I had a chance to catch the film uh, not too long ago at CineQuest, and uh, it's one of those films that's very heartwarming, and when you walk out of it, you feel really good about yourself, and in some ways, you even feel good about society in general. And I know that for a fact, because I remember when I went to go see that movie, I was in a shitty mood before I even saw it, because I got stood up. I was was supposed to see it with somebody, Uh, she never came around, I ended up seeing it, you know, not on my own, but with with a lot of people at the film festival, and when I came out of it, I was like, oh man, I feel so much better now. So, you know, I think that's one of the power of cinema, It, it could totally just make your mood better, and her film certainly did. And I was so glad that I had a chance to uh, connect with her and to uh, you know, go over to her place. She has a beautiful house and really sit down and chat with her. And I found it very interesting and I took a lot from it, especially myself being a filmmaker. Uh, nowhere in comparison to her level, of course. But there was a lot that I learned from her and her experience. So uh, I-, I think uh, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. I certainly did. And if you're tuning in for the first time... Uh, please make sure to check out jmspodcast.com. You can check out a variety of content that is there. I much appreciate you tuning in. And also you can follow JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. And if you're digging this podcast a lot, I could always use some donations. I got a Patreon and a GoFundMe and they're both on the website. So check those out. And there's plenty of prizes to give out on the GoFundMe page. All right, where are we at? How are we doing, people? It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? The rain's coming. That's what I'm excited for. Haven't seen. Uh, I-, I love that that weather. What's cloudy and rainy, and the smell of wet cement. I dig it. And cigarettes. Something about that all comes together very well in my mind. I don't know what it is. But uh, it's been a-, a crazy week for me. Um, I'm. I- Still receiving a lot of positive feedback for my latest short film that I put out there on YouTube. It's called Camera. Just search for Camera Vignette Film by Jorge M. Sanchez. And I messed up uh, a couple podcast episodes ago uh, because I talked about it and I thanked a lot of people, but there's one person I forgot to thank, and I'm ashamed of myself. Uh, it was a uh, it was pretty much my DP for that pro- project. It was J. P. Modi. Me and J. P. Modi. Uh, we went to school together, at San Jose State, but this was the first time we worked together, me as a director and him as a cinematographer. And I, I think uh, he definitely, without a doubt, added an extra layer uh, to that short film, which I think came out very great. And also, also the first time that we shot it uh, at black and white on the set. You know, usually I would do black and white, you know, in post production, but he felt confident that he could do it through the camera and I was at first unsure about it but once I saw how you worked I was like yeah this this is gonna work and it was great working with him so JP Modi thank you so much uh this guy is truly talented I mean this guy has already won an cinematography award at, at, at an academic level so uh it's been nothing but a privilege to work with him on that specific short film and hopefully on, on, on some more others coming coming soon. And other news. Uh, I'm kind of late on the train. But I started watching The Office. Yeah. I know. I'm super late. Like it came out like what? 2008? I don't remember. But uh, I'm just catching. I'm binge watching it on Netflix now. I had to start at the very beginning. So I started at the uh, British version of The Office. With uh, Ricky Gervais. And I, I enjoyed it very much. But I got to admit i'm like halfway through the american version i'm kind of enjoying it a bit more than the british one which is uh pretty rare uh, i tend to like uh, the british uh original works first as opposed to the remakes um so anyway the office I- i'm digging it i really am I- i'm kind of hitting myself over the head it's like how come i didn't get into it before all right enough of that enough of me jibber jabbering let's go on with our conversation with dana knackman Yeah, uh, close. And I avoided the freeway. Oh wow. The whole way over here. Yeah. So That's a first for me.
1: Yeah, nice.
0: But uh, is it Nachman? Nachman, yeah. Do you say Dana Nachman or do you say Yeah. Do you pronounce it differently?
1: Yep, Dana Nachman,
0: Nachman, Yeah. I have a bad habit of messing up people's names. Oh, uh, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh thank you again for, for talking to me. <laughs> uh and uh before we get to to uh, your your recent phone, Bad kid uh, I like kind of like to get know more, more about you and where you came from, sure. and it seems like before you got into filmmaking, you went in, you were in journalism. Yes, correct. H- how did that come about?
1: Uh well, I was in college, and one day my dad he had a friend who worked at CBS Evening News, and he in New York, and he took me to watch it being recorded live. Mm-hmm. And I was in the control room, and I saw the producer, and I but I didn't know it was a producer, and I said, "What does that guy do?" And they told me, oh, he's a producer, and I'm like, I want to be that guy because he was kind of calling the shots and and you know saying which talking to the anchor, you know, in their ear, and um, so that started that, and so I started getting internships. And that
0: was in New York. That was in New
1: York. I went to college in Connecticut.
0: What Um, college did you go to?
1: Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. It's a small liberal liberal arts college. Um, And I started doing internships at the CBS station in um, Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I did that for two years almost. I mean, all the rest of the college, it's really kind of all I cared about.
0: Kind of stuff we were doing there. Were you like a PA? Yeah, Yeah. I was a PA.
1: Um, What did I do? I I actually wrote a 30 second PSA that then was on TV and I was like, couldn't believe it. And I was really proud of it. I, I directed it really. What was the PSA on? it was on um domestic violence to teenagers um and, that, and like so, between
0: parent and teen teenagers yeah, or it was, couples it was about
1: teenagers talking oh. about about violence against them and um, just in their voices and i was really i was really proud of it i should try to unearth it yeah. somewhere <laughs> yeah. <After> 30 seconds
0: <laughs> now did you feel like you had an interest in in the uh production industry oh, yeah. before even before college do no, you feel it was college all. that really or, yeah, you know, not at that's all. That's
1: okay. We have our yeah. water coming in. <laughs> our water
0: came in. Yes. Thank you. Thank
1: you, sir, from our nine-year-old water <laughs> person.
0: <laughs> but that's okay. That's fascinating. And TV, it's a whole different beast when it comes to film. It's a lot more fast-paced.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it turned out I didn't actually really like directing, um, producing television news. It was too much, too stressful, too yeah. much. Um, the kind
0: of environment where it's like we, ha- we had to – had it done yesterday.
1: Yeah, it was really hard and it was it was very adrenaline um inducing and if you like that kind of thing, that kind of stress, I think it's a perfect job for you. But I actually didn't like that. Um that stress of that. So it was um I liked the writing part of it. Uh and I liked when I could do stories that were pre packaged. Um what do you mean by that? So the um if you are gonna you know, if you write you write a story for the news, you um you it's basically like directing little documentaries. You know, you put the, you you interview people and you write, write about it. And Mm -hmm. you, then, then you give it to the anchors to put voiceover on and you go out with the photographers and shoot the pictures. And then you put it all together. They're usually about 90 seconds to three minutes. So I liked doing that, but it wasn't being in charge of the whole show is what I didn't like, you know, and that was more kind of logistical, yeah, less creative and more logistical.
0: And at what point did you move from, uh, Network news mm-hmm. to producing documentaries. Well, actually, I just remembered. I Wikipedia'd you, if you don't mind. Oh. Is that weird when someone says that yeah. I Wikipedia'd you? Well, but, it's but, kind
1: but, of like if you're doing a podcast. You, if you don't, then it's kind of like you don't know anything about them,
0: right? <laughs> but that uh, you actually uh, produced documentaries for uh, the news stations,
1: right? Yeah, so that's how it kind of that's how the transition kind of started. Well, um, do, uh, do you not- feel?
0: But do, do you feel like that that? Um, Going up the ladder, was that like a long journey or do you feel it was a short journey? Oh,
1: huh, that's a good question. Um,
0: Sometimes I have good questions
1: <laughs> on I mean, it kind of feels like it was a long journey, but it was like a real progression. That, you know, that first thing I told you about I did was 30 seconds. And then it went to... Um, you know, I would do like a minute thirty, then three minutes, and then eventually I did something that was forty-two minutes for television, um, and then and that was a documentary, and then I did something that was sixty minutes, and so it really kind of all it it seemed like a progression, and I guess it took from the day I did that first thirty-second thing, probably was um, nineteen ninety-five, and then it was two thousand two when I did my first forty-two-minute thing. Oh wow! So. However long that is.
0: <laughs> Do you feel like the, the news environment or the, the industry changed from that time, from 94 to 2000? Yeah,
1: definitely. How I so? mean, I think um, – and even after that, it changed a lot worse even. Like, I think by 2000 oh, – it got worse? Yeah. You I mean, I think by 2002, it was still pretty – people were used to looking at television for their news. And I think now, you don't really look at television for your news as much. Mm. I don't think – I mean, you can look at CNN, but I think, the, you know, the internet – Um, Twitter even, you know, everything has really taken over for news. And so I think at certain points, I don't remember when it was really bad, but I think probably between around 2002 to 2009, when I quit news um, altogether, um, there was a desperation in television about making, trying to keep away, keep people away from the web and keep people on their eyes focused on television. And now I think TV's they, at first, they weren't going to be on the web, and now they've kind of realized they have to be. Yeah. So it was a bad time for a while. Um, but yeah, so I think it, it definitely has changed a lot. Because mm. I think before, you would say that everybody um, was going to news uh, television for news, and now it's not the case. And so that took a lot of jockeying.
0: And when it came to like coming up with topics and subjects for the uh, small documentaries for the news stations, how did you approach that?
1: I mean, I would have to come up with ideas and then my bosses would have to approve them. And, um,
0: was like a lot of research or, or is it more uh, like word of mouth? It wasn't
1: that much. I mean, I would read a cool article in somewhere obscure and I would be the only one in the newsroom who might know about it. And then they would say, Oh, sure, go do it. You know, cause it had to be something that not everybody thought about. Um, but no, that wasn't that hard, um, to come up with ideas. It wasn't, it's never ideas that are really the hard part. <laughs> it's more the execution.
0: The execution.
1: Yeah, yeah, the execution Sorry. and. <laughs> I mean it's still that way. So yeah. there are a lot of similarities to what I was doing then to I mean there I had a lot of gatekeepers. But you know, in film you had a lot of, you have a lot of gatekeepers too. They're just different.
0: Mm. You put
1: a lot of money and time into it and then the gatekeepers after tell you if it's okay or good. It's just harder.
0: And, but do you feel like there was like a theme that you, you were attracted to at the yeah, time? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that I always, I was really liberal, I think, for the newsroom, even when I came out to California, hmm. um, where you think people would be more liberal. Like, I was always the most liberal in the newsroom, it, it seemed. Um, so I would always have a lot of social justice um, stories and, um, you know, a lot of underdog stories. That was kind of, I, I did
0: now, like that. Were you born into like, a liberal household or is it something you developed?
1: Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, I think my, my mom was, was liberal or is liberal. Um, They're from Connecticut? Um, New, York. New York.
0: New York. What yeah. part of New York?
1: Um, A place called Portchester, New York, which is a, a suburb of, of um, Manhattan. That's
0: cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you, you really were like in it. Like yeah. The big city.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I grew up like kind of like here in the South Bay too, San Francisco. That's kind of similar to how oh. I grew
0: up. I grew up. what were, yeah. what was your family doing like,
1: um my dad um, owned a small um textiles company he was like a middleman between um, a mill that made made um a fabric and the dyers and then would sell it to the manufacturers like now I think those jobs are all in china they're not here anymore
0: oh, that's pretty cool
1: um, yeah my mom um and this I
0: was like back in the 70s right or 80s? um yeah
1: yeah in the 80s is mostly when he yeah was in it yeah and then my mom um was a newspaper reporter Ah. in the 80s when she became like not when i was a child you had that gene in you yeah she's a very good writer
0: and she she also worked for the new york uh Uh,
1: she worked for a paper in new york in the suburban new york yeah
0: okay that's fascinating yeah so and even then you you didn't care too much as a child when your mom was a journalist that no but i was was proud of her for sure
1: um but no i never really thought i don't think i was Focused on thinking about what I was going to do. Really, I liked stories. I liked, I always liked telling stories and writing stories, but I never equated it with something that would yeah. be a job.
0: Yeah, uh, with documentaries, especially, it's it's pretty different, I mm-hmm. suppose. Like, uh, I, we're going to switch right into documentaries. Sure. In a sense that, because uh, there is some structure when it comes to newsroom uh, documentaries. Um uh, However, when you make a feature length documentary, it's like what, where do you start, and how do you create that thread that ultimately becomes the story
1: um I think it really depends on the idea um The first documentary that I did that was um like a feature length uh was about a group of people that were wrongly convicted of child molestation in the eighties. Um, so that was. Was a, that Witch Hunt? Yeah, that, yep, that was Witch Narrated
0: Hunt. Narrated by Sean Penn. Yes. How did that happen?
1: Um, that happened, um, because my first, uh, our first television documentary, um, was called, um, Close to Home, and it was about all of the people that lost their lives on 9-11 who were from the Bay Area. And in that, we met a, an awesome guy who remains a friend to this day named Jack Grancolis, and his wife, Lauren, died on the flight that was bound for San Francisco and we've remained friends with him for a long time and um a few years after we had met him we were working on witch hunt and and, you know we told him he said oh what are you guys working on we told him he said oh my friend sean might be interested in that and we said sean who and he said sean penn and we were laughing like of course sean penn's going to be interested in our little film yeah and for about two years he would, every time we saw him, he would say, how's the project? Sean's interested. I saw a glimmer in his eye and, and we said, Oh yeah, right. But we needed a narrator. Uh, and eventually he said, just don't worry. One day you're going to get a call. It might be two years from now. It might be whenever. And they are going to say, Sean's watching the cut right now. Come, come up. Yeah. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. And yeah. we drove up to his house. He used to live in Ross and we drove up there and, uh, he he came out in the driveway and he said, I'm sorry you've came all this way. And we we're like, oh, and our hearts kind of fell, you know? And and, and he's like, because I'm in. You didn't have to come all the way up here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: did you feel like you had to change the, the script, the, the narration no. script at all? No, he
1: uh, did it word for word, which was funny because I had worked with a lot of anchors in my time who would change every little word. And they'd say, oh, this isn't right. This isn't right. And then Sean Penn comes in and does it exactly the way I wrote like literally I don't think he changed Could
0: be my- the training of actors, you know? Yeah, he did
1: he just didn't change Make do with the
0: material you have. Yeah,
1: he was amazing. And then I think he narrated um our third film also, and I remember in that one there was like one line that he just he like it was something really small, like he wanted to say the instead of and or something like that. Like really small and he's like, Do you mind if I change this? <laughs> no, go ahead. It's all good. <laughs> yeah.
0: But which hunt was your first you say?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. But going back to your other question about how you create how you make it right um that one was a chronology i mean it like the, the crimes happened in the in the 80s and they got out between in the 90s and 2000s and so it was it was a chronology but you know certain films have you know they're they're different and you you, you kind of just figure you have to plant your plant your pull somewhere <laughs> and say okay i'm gonna make this a true chronology or i'm gonna make it you know have flashes from other times mm-hmm. or you know Kind of depends on the story.
0: how do you approach those subjects, especially when it's something controversial.
1: I don't really think about it. I mean, I mean, in Witch Hunt, we really thought that they were innocent, obviously, um, and we wanted to tell the story because we thought that the people were innocent. So, um, but we approached it from a standpoint. Of just the facts, and so that the viewers and the audience could get to it on their own, mm. but it really meant a lot to us that that people would come away from it, thinking they were innocent. We didn't want people to come away, thinking I wonder if they did it. Um, so it was hard, but I think you know the facts were enough to convince us, so um, we just laid out the facts and didn't do much analysis um, yeah, and let it speak for itself, and probably if the facts weren't so strong, we wouldn't have done it to begin with
0: mm. and then which is vastly different. From Bat Kid. Mm. Uh, so h- how did you come upon to doing Bat Kid? and Bat What, what Kid. made you say, yes, I want to make oh. a film about that?
1: Well, Bat Kid was interesting because... So I had done three films before that. That was my fourth film. And my three films before that were about child molestation or, or not really child molestation, but like wrongful conviction with um, touches of child molestation in it. Well, uh, the second one was about... Reactions of families whose loved ones were killed in terrorist attacks, and the third one was about chemicals and all of our products that are hurting us or killing us. And so it was very dark stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was really looking for something less dark.
0: Yeah. um Did I you was, look back? Is like, is there something wrong with me? Yeah,
1: I mean, people, people <laughs> who know me often think I'm a very lighthearted person, and so right. they're like, why do you do such dark stuff? And I was kind like, yeah. of knowing a past life, I had something <laughs> something going really? on. Who knows? But I was looking for something that was lighter, um and I kind of was at that point. Usually, I. I have things stacked up of what I'm going to do next. But at th- this point, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I was finishing up um, the human experiment um, when the Bat Kid Day happened. And I didn't even know about it. Um, so you
0: weren't at the event.
1: I wasn't at the event. I wasn't even online. Um, that day, I was I was editing something. So I, I was totally unaware of the <laughs> the mm-hmm. billion people that were following it. I wasn't one of them. And then it was the next day that um, I was on a phone call with a bunch of kind of middle-aged men and they were all talking about it. And I was like, why are these guys all talking about this? And I Googled it. I was like, oh, wow, I missed a big thing yesterday.
0: Is, is it interesting that you're on a phone call with a bunch of middle-aged men? What's that about? <laughs> no,
1: I usually am. Like, just with, you know. <laughs> just,
0: uh, it's like old school chat room? <laughs> no,
1: it was just chat something, roulette, something about, um, like, the film. It was just a business call.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and so um, – So it was then that I, you know, I heard about it and I I was thinking, I was like, God, what a great documentary that would have been, but somebody has to be doing it. And I kind of forgot about it. And then a week later, a week or so later, my um, friend who I used to job share with at NBC, she called and we were chatting. I said, what are you working on? And she said, oh, I'm trying to get an interview with the Bat Kid. And I was like, oh, that'd be such a great documentary. And she's like, oh, well, I'm calling them right after we hang up. Do you want me to just ask them if they're interested? And I'm like, sure. So she calls back like five minutes later. She's like, well, I can't get an interview with the Bat Kid, but they said they would meet with us tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. to talk about a documentary. And I was like, really? So we go over to Make-A-Wish at 9 o'clock the next morning. And we 100% hit it off with uh, Patricia Wilson and Jen Wilson. Not They're not related to each other, but it, Patricia was the CEO of Make-A-Wish and Jen was the PR person. And we talked. We thought our meeting was going to be a half hour, but we talked for like two and a half hours and we left there. I was, you know, they, they took, you know, they seemed to get, we seemed to get along, but they, they said, okay, give us, a, give us a week and we'll let, let, us know. And, and they called back in a week and I said, yes. And so that was it. And I was really excited. Cause I, I was also, not only was I looking for something lighter to do, but I was looking for something that my kids would like mm-hmm. because they were like, can you do a movie we, we would like? And it, you know, it's because these films are so time intensive and they take you away. And it was such a fun project that I knew my kids could come with me and shoot and it, 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 it truly became that.
0: Well, it's interesting that from the beginning, Make-A-Wish really gave you the green light. And and since you weren't there, I assume you had to do a lot of research and getting archival footage.
1: Well, that was interesting, too. So at the end of that first meeting, um, like my thought going into the meeting, you know, in the 12 hours I had to prepare, I was like, you know, the day was made by the crowd. And so what if we crowdsourced the movie? You know, we we took all those people that were there and got their video. And I mean, because that was what made it go viral online. Let's see if we can capture all get get all that video back and and piece together a movie made out of it, which would have been a technical disaster, obviously. But at the end of our meeting, you know, I said, that was my idea. I was like, but you didn't you didn't happen to shoot it. Did you at all? And they're like, oh, yeah, we had a guy there with four cameras. And we're like, what? (laughs) So that guy was shooting a video for their gala. Yeah, And so I ended up licen- licensing all that footage from him and then piecing it together with other photos um, of other people's and, but that, that played a huge part of it. And then we shot all the interviews and kind of almost like in a way reenacted it. But with a lot of people said, Oh, we thought we thought you were there the whole time. So people didn't realize that, that we kind of pieced it together.
0: Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. Uh, what I love about that documentary, Bad kid is that there was so much preparation for this event, for, for this uh, child. But at the same time, there's a lot of uh, risk that they took. Like, is he even going to be interested in this? Oh yeah. He, what if he bails out? Or what if a stunt goes wrong? Or what if the crowd, a lot of crowd control. And really watching the documentary, you realize like, wow, like these people really planned it, executed, and took that risk. And everybody, literally the city was involved.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, I think I that's probably like, uh something I took away from it is that is that hey, maybe a, as a community we could really get together and and really make some positive funny events,
1: yeah, no, that was awesome about what my...
0: what did you feel you took out of it when yeah, I agree I mean I
1: it. had the serious pleasure of spending a lot of time with those people. And they're very infectious people, you know, from Patricia, who is the the CEO of Make-A-Wish, who like most people in their right mind wouldn't let it get that out of control. And the fact that she did, I think is what made it so special. You know, she didn't put the brakes on it where a lot of other people would have gotten scared, which rightly so I probably would have, but she, you know, has that like Uber creative, personality and so she was amazing and then EJ who played Batman is just like I I got off the phone with him he was the last person I called I called Mike Jutan who played the um penguin first and he's just this most you know amazing person he works at ILM he's a computer guy there and he makes he's in the monsters and creatures department there and he's just like all these people are really have a childlike open openness to the world they're, they're almost like put themselves in these positions to be in a, in an amazing situation like Bat Kid. And they were really great people to be around. And they're very, they're infectious. They they want to help the world. They want to help people like a stranger, like Miles. And, you know, and they're and Miles' parents too. They, they just allowed this all to happen. A lot of parents wouldn't, would have said, okay, there's 10,000 people. There's 20,000 people. What? There's 30,000 people coming. Forget this. We're not coming. But they didn't do that either. So I think across the board, it was like this perfect storm of, goodness um and people who are just you know the kind of people you want to be around in your life and so i was lucky to just be able to be with them you know in the nine months or so that i worked on this film
0: how was that transition from
1: dark stuff dark
0: stuff to this because <laughs> it was
1: awesome it was fun it was such a fun was there project. ever
0: a point where where you like noticed that you had to step back and relook at your work and be like hey this is some like I don't know. I feel like there has to be some catharsis in you.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like one thing that made me want to do movies like this more was because it was much easier. (laughs) I mean, it's much easier to get people to want to support it, uh, to get into festivals, to get, you know, just the the nuts and bolts of it made it easier. I think it's easier to handle. What kind of films? The the, the lighter. The lighter films. I I mean, I only did one so far. Um, But it seemed just all across the board easier, you know what I mean? Like you weren't like, especially the one I did before bat kid was super hard. And I think that was why probably I needed a break because it was about, um, the chemicals in all of our, in all of our um, products that are hurting us. And, you know, I really believe in that issue, but it was such an uphill battle to get the film made and to get the money to make the film and to get it into festivals and to get it bought. Like it was just constantly an uphill battle because I think it's an issue that it's not totally there yet in the in the public consciousness and so you know to be on that front lines of trying to push this rock up the hill with the issue it was really hard um and so i think that kid was a direct response to that being so hard um and then you know when you when you say okay i'm doing a movie about chemicals and our products and they're hurting us and they're hurting our kids it's like kind of a debbie downer like (laughs) at all the um I Any mean, cocktail party, I'd go to people like, oh, Dane is here. She's going to tell us what not to eat and what not to buy. You know, and it's kind of <laughs> sad. Whereas when you showed up with the Bat Kid movie, you're like, oh, she's doing Bat Kid. How lovely and nice. And they just want to hear about Bat Kid and how great he is, you know. So it is. I mean, it's nice to work on something that is happier in general. Um, but that's not to say I won't ever do the others again. But I just think I needed a little break, break
0: mm. from it. Fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I'm going back of it because you actually – uh, you mentioned the uh, "Close to Home" yeah. documentary, mm-hmm. and you you got an award for it. Oh, uh huh. A- Emmy.
1: Yep. Like, yep. How was that? That was great. I was just telling my kids about it tonight. this morning, we met. It was. I said the night I found out I was nominated for that award. It was a regional Emmy award that I I was up the whole night because I was so excited that I got <laughs> I yeah. got nominated. You know, and it was it was really cool. Yeah, it was really you know it was my first time doing a documentary, so it was really nice to know that it resonated with people and. So your
0: debut, uh, documentary, got an Emmy. Yep, yep. (laughs) Must've been surreal, or was it like? It was. It
1: really was. It was. Um, you know, and it, it. I really enjoyed doing it, and so then to think that somebody thought I was okay at doing it, you know, it's nice. That's what you want. Like I actually skipping forward a little bit, I just um, directed my first um, narrative work. So non, non-documentary non with actors. Um, and it w- it's a short that I wrote and directed. And, you know, people say, oh, why, why did you do a short? And I said, well, I just had to see if I was good at it and if I liked doing it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I like so, doing it, but yeah. we'll see if people think I was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it.
0: Did you feel like it was alien to you to do a
1: narrative? 100%. It was so hard. Yeah. It was only 10 minutes. And it, I, it felt like it was the hardest thing I ever did. You know, it was really, I mean, really. Yeah.
0: Documentary like that kid getting an Emmy and being involved in all these great, great projects. But it took a 10 minute short film to be like, (laughs) this is it.
1: Well, I probably thought that making close to home was, I mean, I remember I never thought I could make close to home too, but like that was in 2002. So, you know, fast forward, what, 14 years. And I shot it in LA and, you know, at the end, you know, the days. I think news really did prepare me for that because the days are very long. I mean, the Mm -hmm. shootings get was seven to seven. So I would get to the set at, you know, 530 or six and I'd get home at nine. So they're very long hours. And that was something I was very used to with my news career. But when I would get back to my hotel, my husband, my husband would be like waiting for me to call. And and he's like, how, you know, how was it? I was like, my whole body's tingling. It was so hard because every time like there was, you know, You would just be thinking so hard. And then the minute you would like step back, somebody would ask you a question. There'd be a line of four people waiting to ask you questions. You know, it's very intense because documentaries, like right now, I'm shooting a feature that we've been shooting for 15 months. So we shoot like two or three days a month, you know, maybe four days a month sometimes. So it's, it's, this was like intense, like probably shot 40 hours in three days. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So 12 hour shoots. Yeah, very intense. 16
0: hour shoots that happens. Yeah. That's why craft is so important,
1: yeah, but it was it was so much fun, mm. yeah, but
0: hard, so I'm fascinated now uh what because did i'm interested how, how that process was you all right Now to write a narrative,
1: yeah, the writing wasn't as hard, no i mean yeah, it was i mean it was pretty funny like i wrote i wrote it, it was twelve pages, I wrote it in like pretty much one weekend. And then I tweaked it, and then I took a, a master screenwriting class for women at Mill Valley Film Festival. They put it on this spring. Who was running it? Um, Mill Valley Film Festival.
0: Uh, I mean, the teacher. Who was um,
1: the... Janine... I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Let's call her Janine. Janine? Okay. <laughs> out, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um,
0: but what are some things you took out of that class?
1: Well, it was interesting because it was a workshop format. So I was the only one who had a short. So everybody else's were like 120 pages, 100 pages. I had my 12 page short that like, so over the, I don't know, eight weeks. I would tweak it, to like, very – it was in a very refined phase by the time, you know, but where everybody else was kind of, like, back to the drawing board because they were so, – you know, one, one person had 130, 140 pages. They had to, like, wow. take it down, you know. So mine, I was constantly honing in on this 12 pages. So it was really great for me um, in a lot of ways. Um I haven't done a true analysis of how much changed from beginning – you know, from November when I first wrote it. To, I shot it on August 28th. So I, like, hemmed and hawed with it for all those months. Well, how many
0: drafts have you had since?
1: Um, gosh. Dozens.
0: Yeah, then that says it all right there. Yeah. Which is a good sign. But yeah. For me, I always tell yeah. young filmmakers, always edit your drafts.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was edited quite a bit. I mean, but, like, it, I, I do want to go back and look. And then the crazy part for me, though, one of the big learning things was, after I had spent so much time writing it and rewriting it, Then really, I mean, there was lines we just were throwing out in the shoot. Mm -hmm. And it's like
0: all that, you know,
1: and then one of the actors didn't want to say one of the words. And then I gave I really wanted that word. So it was a Yiddish word and I gave it to another actor. (laughs) It was just like (laughs) and then, you know, there was another joke I had in there that um, logistically just couldn't work. And so we didn't want to lose the whole trend. It was like transition between scenes. We had I mean, we had to do a lot of doctoring on set, too.
0: So would you say that that in documentary? You're more of a, almost like a, not exactly like a voyeur, but you're looking at things and, and, and you're, as an observer, you yeah. are an observer. Yeah. And, but in narrative filmmaking, you are molding it, You are manipulating Oh yeah.
1: It. It's like, you have to create, there's so much to learn. I mean, I read like, when I found out I was going to be shoot. like what happened was after I was toying with this for a long time, I was like, okay, I can't just do this the rest of my life. I have to make it. So then I started looking for a producer. And then once I found a producer... He just like kicked it into gear. And like, I realized once I found him, the train left the station and mm-hmm. he was setting up shoot days. I didn't realize it was going to go that fast. But what I really realized bet- between that, once he, he got on board and then he taught me basically all about pre-production. I didn't know anything about how, how do you find an art director. I have no idea. All these, you know, it was, it was the working with actors that scared me the most and the art direction. Why is that? Because those are two things in documentary you don't do. Mm. I mean, the rest of the rest of, you know, the rest of the process you kind of do in documentaries, but those two things you don't do. I mean, there's no actors, but then uh, over time I came to realize you do do not the art direction as much, but the actors, you have to learn how to talk to them and you have to learn what they're used to. I mean, these actors I had, it's a, it's a movie about um an old lady who dies at the breakfast table. She's, she was in her nineties. And she gets transported to this afterlife called the between. And -hmm. in the between, all the loves of her life show up. And then she, in the end, has to decide which one to take to eternity. And so. No pressure. (laughs) So they were all old, very, very old actors. And they, I mean, if you go to their IMDb pages, they'd all been in 200 things. So I would show up at their homes and be like, so I've never directed actors before. Like, and you know, they'd have to, it was just this funny thing that I was very honest. I'm like, here's my experience. Here's what I know how to do, but I don't know how to work with actors. And I would ask them, I was like, what do you like about, you know, what is a good director to you? Yeah. And what is not, not a good director to you? And they told me, you know, they each had their own answers. But I learned a lot from them. And so part of my, I didn't do this on purpose, but when I realized, I was like, oh, this is kind of ingenious because these people are such professionals. They know how, they don't need me. Like they could just do whatever, you know? so that was, that was nice too. Because they did a lot themselves. Um but, Worst
0: case scenario, did you have to pull out the Emmy? Like, uh, no. It, 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 no, they it, were it give so, you too much crap? Oh, like they it? were so
1: cute. No, they didn't. No. They were so, you know, and they, they like, I think three of them left me messages the days after and said, you know, you would never have known on set that you had never directed before. Like they're very nice, very, very nice phone calls. And they were really pleasures to work with. Um, But uh, yeah, I thought the working with actors, but the the thing that was interesting in the end was kind of after thinking about it, you do have to do a lot of the same things with people who are in your documentaries because you have to make them at ease. And that's exactly what you do with actors. You have to make them feel uh, like they're in good hands, that you're not going to... screw them over in some some way that you're going to make them look good. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that. And the people are worried about that in documentary. And I think a lot of both of the directing, both, both sets of quote unquote actors is making people feel at ease, being intuitive and, and understanding people, understanding, you know, if they're not doing their lines right or the way, not that they're not right, but maybe the way that you were, you want them. How do you get them to say what you want without, being too authoritarian, it's, it's, it's the same really. Mm. So once I kind of got there, I realized, or maybe even after the fact, I was like, "Mm, it's not all that different when I'm interviewing people for documentaries, I do have to make sure they speak in a way that I can edit.
0: Was there ever a subject in a documentary that took a while to convince
1: to do the doc to be in it? Yes. Uh, I'm sure there have been yeah actually, you've done so
0: much that you really yeah. have to recollect yeah no i mean yeah. one of the
1: biggest stories and kind of most interesting i think is in my first film in witch hunt um it was about this, this group of people that were wrongfully convicted of child molestation uh we had our main character who we had done a four-part series for nbc that also won an emmy um on him when he got out he was in prison during that when he got out of prison we were having a beer one day and he's like you know i was i was one of dozens of people this happened to we're like what he's like yeah read this he gave us a um what like a magazine series and we read it we're like, holy shit, this guy was like, you know, one of so many people. So we started contacting the other people. And the first case was of these people, Marcella and Rick Pitts. And they had been in prison for only six years <laughs> compared to some of the other twenty years. Right. But and they'd moved to Oklahoma from California and basically like never told anybody in their Oklahoma town like really just started a new life. So when we contacted them, the wife, um, 2 she, she goes by, she said, Yeah, come down, come to come to Oklahoma. i we'll do an interview with you. But it was very hard. We didn't have their home address. We didn't like we booked the tickets. We didn't like we like we like, is this really gonna happen? Like it was kind of sketchy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I'll never forget she just said, I said, what's your address? What's your address? She goes, just go to the stop sign. There's one stop sign in the, whole, in the whole town. Go to the stop sign and we're the trailer on the left. So that's all we knew when showing up. We, so we fly all the way. and we, didn't, we did this on our credit card. So we had no. Oh, man. Yeah. So we show up there and Rick goes, I didn't What did he say? I didn't know there was going to be no television camera. And we're like, well, it's a documentary. You know, you know? we're yeah. trying to like sweet talk it. And he's like, no, I won't do it. And we've flown all the way there. And it was my birthday too. This was my birthday present to myself to go to go there, and so we had to do it in silhouette, so to obscure their faces. Um, and then, as the time went on, and they ended up seeing the final thing, um, they came to Toronto for the fil- for the premiere of it. They really regretted not having their faces on it, and so, but you know, I think it added. It was okay because we got them to say the things we need, we needed for the film, um, but that was that was really hard and we were really disappointed. But at least we got the sound.
0: Yeah. Did yeah. you tell them it was your birthday? Like, did that help at all? <laughs> I, don't, I don't
1: remember. I don't think I did. It wasn't like now we're really good friends with them. Actually, I owe them a call. But um, um, you know, and, and it, like, but then you know, I didn't want to guilt them or pressure them into it. Hmm. But I wish I did. <laughs> yeah
0: sounds like you go to a you have been to a variety of film festivals.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. i have I'm trying to make a list. I mean, I, I think
0: I, I I get I get three su- dozen maybe. I get super overwhelmed. Although I did intern and I worked for many years at Cinéquest, but just in general, going to other f- film festivals, I like, get yo, do you ever get overwhelmed? Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, Toronto that year, I was very overwhelmed. Yeah. With um. Why is that? Well, it was my first film. I had never been to a festival ever, like not even as a patron. Yeah. I showed up at Toronto. I had two little kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and we brought them to the festival. We didn't know that was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bad idea. My husband... My, we had four grandparents there. Nobody watched the kids, so my husband was mad the whole time. Uh. I was like trying to find our agents the whole time. It was very stressful. Yeah. There, like there we somebody, some very wealthy person in Toronto offered to throw a party for us because Sean Penn was going to be there. And then that created a whole level of stress because people like were trying to get on the list to the party. It was just like the most stressful you can imagine. Oh man. Yeah, it wasn't fun. But it was really- Does it get easier? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It gets easier. I mean, it gets easier because you kind of, I mean, it depends how you handle it. I mean, I don't love- I don't really like being in the spotlight that much. Um, I used to get very, very nervous about speaking in public. So the whole Q and A thing and introducing the film used to just, I mean, I still, I still really don't like it, but I'm getting more used to it. Um, I used to have to have like a gin and tonic before I, anything I would go out. That always helps. Yeah, it really did. It really did. But it, it really, it doesn't get a lot. I mean, it's hard, you know, because. I mean, I'm an outgoing person on a one-on-one level, but I don't really love putting myself out there. I really like making the movies, but then the the second part of it, nobody's going to see it unless Mm. you put yourself out there. And that's not, it's not the easiest, easiest part
0: for me. How do you approach, um, really putting your film out there when it comes to, uh, not just networking, but marketing?
1: It's hard. I wish I was better at it. I mean, I still am in the phase where I make the films and then try to sell them after, Whereas I would love to move into a to a place where people are buying them before, and then I don't have to worry so much because the, the concept alone, yeah, or sell them on that, yeah, yeah, which I haven't had, I haven't done that yet. Mm. Um, so in that way, going to the film festival is always going to be stressful because when we went to the film festival for Bat Kid, which was Slam Dance, um, I mean it was really stressful when we were on the flight there. I forgot what publication broke the news that. Um, Julia Roberts was going to star in a remake of it. So then when I got off the plane in, in Utah, like every, all like my.
0: Did de- you know about Devices. This?
1: I knew about it, but I didn't, yeah. like, I didn't know it was going to go public right then, you know? It
0: was on Wikipedia when I researched. <laughs> yeah, it.
1: I know. I mean, but that, this was as it was happening. And then yeah. my phone was blowing up and everything. And it's like kind of like, it's all kind of this glossy, which is exciting and amazing. Right. But really, I needed to sell the documentary. So everything's, so, you know, it's, it's kind of this weird, awkward position where you're like, okay, nobody had ever seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, we still had to premiere it. What if nobody liked it? Like, can't
0: disappoint them now. Julianne Roberts is involved. It was
1: kind of crazy. So, like, there's a lot of (laughs) stuff like that that's a little crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's hard, you know. And and I think making the films, you put a big leap of faith out there, and you're like, I hope somebody buys it. Mm -hmm. I hope I, you know. With my first films, it was all about our own money. Um, my partner, Don, and I, we would put it on our credit cards and then hope we could pay them back and hope that, you know, and we did with Witch Hunt.
0: Mm. And then
1: we made money on that, so we, we made Love, Hate, Love. I mean, it's like this passion thing that we, you keep doing.
0: And where is the money? At? Is it getting a distributor?
1: To pay? You mean, what does it cost? Yeah. Um. So for back, I mean, for Witch Hunt, it really wasn't that expensive. But at the end, it gets a little pricey where you have to do you know, if you're going to go to a festival, you have to do sound, sound mixing and color correction. Most of everything else, if you can shoot, you can do it on your own. It's cheap. You don't, it's not much. I mean, maybe some, some flying places, you know, but you can do it pretty cheap, but at the end you have to pay for insurance and post-production costs. And I mean, you could do it for probably $30,000, but it's $30,000, you know, and I guess you don't have to do that until you get into a good festival. You can kind of, but you know, but nowadays things are getting so competitive. I mean for the last ten, all the years I've been in, it's been very competitive that if you're gonna give something to a festival like Sundance or Tribeca, you know, if it's not mixed and and color corrected and it doesn't look good, like they're comparing it to ones that do. yeah, good. so that's the rub. It's like, do you spend the money and hope or take your it's risk? It's all risk
0: nah.
1: it's hard, yeah, right, yeah, it's stressful. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you're taking that master class in um, Mills Valley, and it was uh, women and film? Yeah. What's your take on that? And, and
1: That's an interesting issue. I mean, I know they're not... I don't know what the percent, percentage is exactly. Is it 7%? Too oh, low. Way yeah, low. 7%, I think, of yeah. directors or women. Um, it's really hard. Like,
0: know? Did you feel like gender became a factor when you were making your films or no, trying to produce it or sell them?
1: I don't think so. Um... I mean, I'm kind of just obviously the kind of person who's just doing what I'm doing and, and you know, and continue to. Um, Maybe that's
0: something you picked up from TV. Yeah. Like you have no time no, to really was, think about No, and that was really hard. I remember my first,
1: on. when I was an intern, um, my first jobs, people were like, oh, it's so competitive, you'll never get a job. And that was that was the type of thing that I really um, wanted to, um, it made me want it more. You know, when people said you couldn't do it, that's what I, I want to do it more. Um, and so with this, I mean, I think what happens is, and I haven't had this experience personally, but I can imagine like, you know, I've heard a lot of times like there's interviews with Steven Spielberg and he says, oh, I, you know, there's, I forgot, you know, which which directors, you know, he reminded me of me when I was young. And so that's why I hired him, you know, or that's why I related to him. And that's, I think, a very natural thing.
0: Most likely J.J. Abrams.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. It was exactly right. Yeah, I was like, what was I reading? But like, things I've heard that over and over with different directors, but I think it makes total sense Mm -hmm. that... You you know you look at your yourself in your in your fifties or sixties and you're like oh that that's what I was like this whippersnapper when I was you know twenty or eighteen or whatever, so I think it's a natural natural thing and so I don't you know begrudge anyone for that, um, but I think there's such a movement now that's really exciting, um, and what one thing I I would like to see more of is that especially when there's women themed movies that there's more women behind the camera. You know, it's one yeah. thing if you're, if, if, you know, like, like I don't like it want to think of when the, the themes are women, you know, women's issues and that men are making those movies. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. why can't women make their movies about their own voice, you know? And that's what really I would like to see more of, yeah. you know? Especially um, in the
0: writing too. Uh, yeah. Feel-
1: right. Right. But I think it's also for, I mean, it's not just women. It's for minorities of all kinds. It's like, you know, it's, 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 it's just, it has it should be more more um diverse i mean in general but i I can't say i've i don't think anything's held me back except for that I've started in one career and kind of moved into the other women'll I we'll see i mean i I think it's much harder in the narrative world and if I move in that direction, maybe it'll get harder. I don't know I think there are more documentary directors that are women mm. I don't know why maybe because the budgets are less
0: oh. Uh, weird random question yeah but the more i talk to you i really want to know is who, who are your inspirations before and after film became a factor in your life
1: gosh i should have a good answer for that
0: <laughs> any answer works i
1: don't know i mean i i mean i guess my parents really are i mean they really um they have great work work ethics my parents and i think that's something like I don't know if I'm good at filmmaking or if I was good at journalism or anything, but I know I work really hard.
0: I feel, did your mom ever try to get in, when you started out in journalism, did she ever try to, you know, try to teach you the ropes? No, no,
1: no. she was very, I mean, I think I'm more controlling as a mother and I, I would love my kids to be in film and I'm constantly trying to get them to come with me and do things and, you know, yeah. and the whole reason I did that kid was to have them involved. Um, but no, my mom didn't do that. But, I, you know, I really think that I, I'm an only child. Um, my, I was the only granddaughter for 10, 12 years on both sides. So I think like everybody had a lot of, I was everybody with a lot of eggs in my basket. <laughs> you yeah. know, what I mean, people in our family made me feel like I could do anything. And I think that is really all kids need is, I mean, being in film, I think is a crazy career. I mean, it's really hard to make it in film. Um, and you know, when I get really frustrated in it, which I, I, can from time to time you know my husband would be like of course it's hard because if not everybody would do it because it's so great when it's great and i'm like you're right you're right you know because when it's hard it's like you feel like you're alone on an island you know i think especially living like we all live this is a a south bay um podcast (laughs) that you know I think it feels very isolating to live here often, um, and do this kind of work. Um, and even now I'm in, mean, there's a great group speaking of women in film called Film Fatals. And, um, it's all women directors. It's, and it's in chapters across the country. And so I'm in the San Francisco one and they all are like, you live where? I mean, like, I might as well live in Ohio. That's how far away, like, <laughs> the South Bay is to them, you
0: know? Tell me a bit about film, uh, Film Fatal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
1: great, great group. Um, we meet once a month. Um, there are chapters all over the world now. Um, and it's women directors and we have actually, I'm the leader for this Monday's one. And it's, um, I haven't decided what we're going to talk about yet, but I think what we're going to talk about, what I, I don't know if it's a dumb topic, but I, I asked my co-moderator if it was good, you know, what are the attributes that directors need to be good? You know, what is it you need to be like?
0: What do you feel that they are?
1: I don't know. I want to hear what the group says. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I've really thought about it since my directing my little narrative. Um, I think it's being really good with people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the most so far. I mean, what do I know? But that's, that's no, what I think. I, I think
0: you hit a, a big no there. I think,
1: I think either you're a genius, like an absolute genius where everybody, it doesn't matter how, what a jerk you are, uh, let everybody will just listen to your way. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're not like that, it's taking being really good with people and taking the best. I mean, it's a huge crew. Like this crew I worked on on my short was like more than 50 people. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was, it was huge. Whereas I'm used to doing a documentary on with like one person in the room, you know, me and a camera person. And it's very, you know, which is nice too. Um, but if you can just take the best from all those people and really get the most out of them, then I think to me, that might be who knows, but that's one really important thing for a director, but maybe we'll talk about that on Monday.
0: Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah I, I totally agree i think uh the both the hardest thing about film i feel is dealing with people mm. and it's always uh you know a journey to really find people to help you in your film yeah which i meant to ask you earlier because you mentioned that you're looking for a producer it's the same questions like what well, what do you feel are great attributes you look for personally in a in a uh, partnership a business partnership that's a good
1: question um I really think a lot about that. I mean, first off, you know, because there's so many people you have to hire, it's somebody who's going to care as much as you. And that's hard to get, I think. Um, People who are not just you know going to say, okay, check, I did my job and now we can move along. Like you have to be like, are you going to be there when, you know, things don't work out right and you have to spend an extra three weeks doing something or two years later. I mean, my producer for The Human Experiment, she still deals with stuff when it comes in. I mean, this is like four years ago. Like, you know, to have somebody who's going to be there for the long haul. Um, And, I, I, you know, I know when the Coen brothers are known for using their whole crew over and over and over, and I could see that. Like, I mean, once you find somebody, you don't want them to stink. You want them to be great, so you never have to look for that person again. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So um, it's that staying power, that work ethic. Um, I think, like, being a collaborator. um, Like, I had an interesting thing with my my short, um, which was, I interviewed several people, um, to, for the DP position. And, um, I ended up choosing this woman who I, who I just thought was amazing, um, Dominique Martinez. And she, she's done a lot more narrative than I did. So she taught me a lot. Um, and on set we, um, had a disagreement with, I mean, it wasn't a fight by any means, but she said, you know, she pulled me over and she, she had a concern about something. And, um, I really respect her opinion. I respect her, I respect her aesthetic. Um, And I had to make a quick decision. Like, was I going to agree with her? I didn't, wasn't totally sure I agreed with her, but I decided to go with what was, it was an art direction thing. I decided to go with what was there and what I, you know, what I'd seen. And she didn't, you know, she didn't give me a problem the rest of the day because I didn't agree with her. You know, she said her piece, and she accepted when I said no, and then we moved on. And I really appreciated that because, and I, I appreciate that. I thought even after that, right after that, she would still give me her opinion again. It wasn't like, okay, I'm not going to give my opinion anymore because Dana didn't listen to my my one opinion, mm-hmm. you know? And so I thought that was like the perfect relationship. Like somebody who's going to, you know, you're going to see eye to eye with 95% of the time. And the 5% that you don't, she or he still feels like he'll, they'll bring it to the table and, and they're not going to throw it back at your face. If you don't say yes, you know, they're not going to hold you hostage or hold the film hostage if you don't agree. Right. And I just thought that was the perfect relationship, you know, cause you want somebody who's thinking and bringing things to you. And then you also want the ability to say, you know, I do or don't agree. So I thought that was like the perfect, I hope she works with me forever.
0: Do so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we were you in circumstance or was the opposite?
1: Um, Yeah. I've, mm. had, I've had those situations where you have to beg somebody to, like, do it your way. And, yeah, it's hard.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: But going back to uh, film fatal I have a yeah. hard time saying that word. Film, film I know Film hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys meet up on a monthly basis. Yeah.
1: And, um... I missed, like, the last four meetings, which has been terrible. But I love it so much, especially because I was talking about earlier how being in the South Bay, there was kind of this isolated feeling um i made this really so i had i got that screenwriting class in the spring and i had started with film fatals last fall so i was all of a sudden starting to meet all these women i mean it was all women um but i started meeting tons and tons of people and then it really i mean got to a point where i had to like kind of stop doing all this socializing and meeting around this and just hunker down here in my office where we are right now and just start working because but it's great i mean now if i need somebody i can go to the group's website or the, the group's Facebook page and say, Hey guys, I need a PA or I, I need a this or I need a that. And there's like a hundred people who then can be like, Oh, I work with so-and-so and the other day I asked somebody, I was like, Oh, I'm thinking of working with so-and-so. They're like, don't do that. It's <laughs> like, you know,
0: <laughs> which so, is helpful. Very helpful. helpful. Yeah. I'm like,
1: it's <laughs> great. So, you know, I mean, people ask me all the time for contacts. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's fabulous. great. And that's what it is. It's like a,
0: yeah. I think that's another factor of filmmaking I feel that people uh, don't really look into is which is really look into being part of a community.
1: Yeah. And I really was missing that. I was yeah. feeling very, you know, I it was hard to learn. I mean, everything I learned was on my own, really. You know, I didn't go to film school, so I didn't have a group of friends. I had one I have one really good friend in LA and I met him. He actually co wrote and, and edited Bat Kid, Kirk Kinney. Uh he's from the South Bay. You should interview him. Oh, when he I would comes love up. to. He lives in LA now, but when he comes oh. up, you should definitely interview him. He's a He just inter, he just directed um an episode of The Blacklist. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. he's going to come up. I'll I'll get you in contact with him. <laughs> he's awesome. That'd be great. He did a a super strong documentary called Dear Zachary.
0: Um Dear Zachary. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It was at Cinequest. He's had a lot of films at Cinequest. Mm-hmm. Like he's a he's a genius pretty much, but he um, And who was
0: your only film friend for a he while? He was my
1: only film friend. Uh, I met him because we had the same agent for Witch Hunt and Dear Zachary, and that's how we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was constantly asking him. I mean, I still constantly ask him everything. But like, if ever I, I need notes, he gives me notes. I have nobody else to give notes. I like you know, now <laughs> I know a lot more people, and I can I can get more <laughs> notes. But it mm-hmm. was like, I mean, but I actually found my producer for the final show through kind of through Kurt because he gave me somebody else's name, and she couldn't do it. She gave me three other names, and one of them was. The one I chose so it all goes back to Kurt all the time
0: <laughs> when is it important do you feel that a uh, filmmaker should get a, an agent
1: well it's a good question because I don't really have an agent I have an agent for my like my films have an agent but I don't really have an agent <clears throat> but I, I would like to can I ask answer that next time we do this because I I mean for the whenever you I, I,
0: it's different for everyone
1: yeah so I think how it worked for me was when our first film got to Toronto we had to get an agent to sell it there Mm. um and then the only agent i've ever worked with to sell my films was that one um but i would like to look into maybe if especially if i want to move into narrative filmmaking um see if i can i don't know if that's an agent or a manager but try to maybe find somebody who could help me get some projects
0: Mm.
1: not not on the documentary mm, side but
0: almost like a producer almost huh
1: yeah i don't know how it works
0: yeah but you do run um KTF films? Yep. What does that stand for?
1: It stands for Keep the Faith. Keep Um, the Faith. Yeah. And it's because when, back to close to home, when Sean Penn, when when Jack was saying Sean Penn would do it, uh, would narrate it, he would say, keep the faith. Sean's going to do it. Keep the faith. And Don and I would um, write to each other, we're so not KTFing anymore. KTF is dumb. And, And then we said if he ever decided to do uh, our film, we would change the name of our company to KTF Films.
0: No, it's KTF. That's fascinating! <laughs> yeah. It was all by chance. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep.
0: And it's Don Hardy, right? Yep. And so far, you guys have been producing your own stuff through KT... K- I'm messing it up. K- I'm KTF. so sorry. KTF, that's okay. KTF? Yeah. Uh, what, what, where would you guys like to take this? Um, organization? Or should I say production company? Um,
1: I don't know. I mean, we're starting to... Um, do a lot more now because um, we don't co-direct everything anymore. So like Don just did one called Theory of Obscurity, um, a film about the residents. They're a band.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: he did that while I did Bat Kids. So we're starting to do a lot more. You know, we're doing one together right now called Pick of the Litter. Uh, and, but I did my short, but he always, he's a shooter and an editor. So he edited my short narrative. He shot um, a short documentary. I just, I just, um am putting out in festivals called Washed Away so we're starting to What's do it. What's that all. about? It's about oh a great oh you should interview him too. Is it only is it any artist? Yeah. You know I mean? anybody. Oh you should interview Anyone
0: who's willing to talk to me. Really. You should interview <laughs> Brand. You should
1: interview Brandon. He's um yeah, he he you could look at him up on my KTF uh, Facebook page after today. I just put up a thing yeah. on it. Um Maybe he...
0: listeners could check out KTF. Oh yeah, KTF
1: Films for sure.
0: You guys have a website or uh, we
1: have a website and we have a Facebook page and we have Twitter, we have everything. <laughs> um so Brandon is a sand artist. He does these humongous mosaics in the sand, anywhere from Santa Cruz up to the city. um And then they get washed away by the tides. And he suffers from chronic pain, and this is kind of his only relief is from making these oh my God. beautiful, they're masterpieces. I figure
0: you, I would get more pain just watching and, watch and get washed away. No, yeah. Away.
1: No, it's very cathartic for him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So Just like life, huh? You yeah. build something up and eventually it gets washed away. But it's kind of like you were
1: saying earlier that you don't watch your films. It's kind of like if you... You know, make the films. It's really the making of it that's so
0: great. Yeah, and so it's not, like. What's a recent of... development? I don't know where it came from. I don't know where where. I
1: think it, I think a lot of people are like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It's good to know I'm not the only one. Who's... I don't think so. <laughs> I, I find solace in that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: but uh we are reaching the hour mark pretty soon. All
1: oh, right. And
0: and uh and the, is that what the documentary is about? Washed away. Yeah. It's about the sand artist. Yeah. Fascinating. Brandon. When are you expecting to put that out?
1: Um, Well, um, it's just starting to play festivals now. It just played at the Mill Valley Film Festival. And it's playing at um, Doc NYC in New York um, on November 14th. It played at the Boston Globe Film Festival um, on October 2nd. So it's just starting to go to festivals. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, usually the last question I asked uh, my guests Mm -hmm. uh, is a a self-reflecting one. Mm. If you go back in time. Yeah, and you see yourself in college before you even enter that that production room.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, that TV news station. Yeah, what's some advice you would give yourself?
1: I mean, my knee jerk is skip over television and just go straight to film, so then I could have been like Nora Ephron by now. No, but I, that's not good advice because I learned how to do a lot of this stuff. Um, I would say. I would go back there. I think it wasn't until I was 25 or so. Like that, Then I was probably 19, let's say, when that happened. But it wasn't until I was 25 I went to NYU and I studied journalism. Um, I didn't know that. I did, yeah.
0: NYU. Um, yeah. How was that?
1: Awesome. And that was like, a, I'd say, was it 25? Maybe I was 23. I don't know. I think I was 25. Yeah. And it was then that I started, it was like, Just this perfect. I felt like I was studying something I loved, and you know everything was so thought provoking, and I, you know, everything I did was like really single minded into getting good at storytelling, really. And everything I did before then was searching for that 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 place probably. And I, you know, in college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I didn't enjoy much at all. And I think it's. I don't know what the advice is. It's just being open to finding that thing that you love, and and I I think until then I felt like I wasn't good at anything, and I wasn't smart, and this and that. And I'm like, what wasted time that was, you Mm -hmm. know? Because then I was like, when I was twenty five, like, wow, I'm good at this, and I'm, you know, I I like to do this, and and it gave me a goal in mind, and that was at NYU. So I think not to be so hard on yourself, and maybe then that would be that would be my
0: probably the hardest part.
1: Yeah. And I'm still, I mean, exceedingly hard on myself, but at least it's all in an effort to make better films. And, you know, it's not, I don't, I, and maybe that's something of just being young and being getting older is like knowing that you could just be okay with yourself and, you know, you don't care what other people think. You just care what you think. Right. Of course, you do care what other people think, you know, when, when well, your films come out. they're and, watching your films. So yeah. You, gotta care a bit. you do. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. That wasn't a very good answer, but. <laughs>
0: No, that's great. That's uh, yeah. I thought it was a great answer. I took a lot from it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And now now I just popped in my head. It's, it's that journey you went through, you know, from from 19 to 25 to and then you finally made your first close to home documentary. Mm-hmm. Um it was that like the first time we've seen one of your cre- creations uh, on the big screen. Well, It was on
1: TV and I didn't see it because I was actually in Pennsylvania the night it it showed because it was the 9-11 anniversary and I was there at the crash site of the plane that was bound for San Francisco. Yeah. And I
0: was... Was it Flight 93? Yeah.
1: And I was working there. So I didn't even see it the night it went on.
0: What was the first film of yours that you've seen in the big screen?
1: I guess Witch Hunt. Oh, this is a funny story actually. Yeah. First, first... Screening at Toronto. Are you allowed to curse on this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, First screening uh, of my first film ever at a film festival anywhere. And we're sitting in the middle and there's this beautiful, you know, gorgeous theater in Toronto. And, you know, all the people are there who are in the film and my family's all there. And I'm sitting next to my husband on one side and this woman on the other side and the film starts and (laughs) it opens. And this woman literally after one minute says, gets up. The one woman sitting next to me, she goes, (laughs) <laughs> she goes, uh, this is horrible, or, or fucking horrible, and walks out. In the first... Literally right next to me. Like, the person sitting next to me. Oh, no. And I was like... And I was dying inside, because I was like, I had to do an introduction, and afterwards where somebody got me a flask. I was like, drinking like... genotonic. Gin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was so stressful. Oh, my... That God. really happened.
0: How did you process that? I
1: was beside myself. I was like, literally... And then... You know, you just don't know if anybody likes it. And then you get up for the QA and you're. I mean, I was shaking. Yeah. That was terrible. But people liked it. So yeah. It was fine.
0: So. <laughs> I, I just could imagine, like, first, you know, it's your first f- feature disaster. in there and you're at a festival, you have to take care of your kids and all this, and only awesome. to have the person sitting next to you stand up and. What would she say? Like, fucking is horrible. fucking horrible. was horrible and, like, walked out. But the fact that. Ugh.
1: It was so stressful.
0: But I think it's amazing that even through that, though.
1: (laughs) You go back again and again. You're like glutton for punishment.
0: (laughs) But even that, you know, it's like you're sitting here in front of me, and you got Bat Kid and you you continued on even then. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: I guess, you know, I think to a lot of listeners listening in, if you're a young filmmaker, it's like endurance, really.
1: Super. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't make more than one or two films. It's because it's really hard and it's... People don't always like your stuff and it, it just, you know, takes a lot of being beat up. But like if you like doing it and it's, you know, it's like my husband said, like if it was so easy all the time, everybody would do it because it's fun when it's really, it's really fun when it's fun. Right. <laughs> you know, you're on a set and people are there and you could, I mean, like I was laughing like one day. For my narrative, I was like spending the time like picking out jackets that the that the ladies were gonna wear, and I'm like, this is a job like to like pick up coats and like pick out what their hair's gonna look like, and I'm like, it's fun, you know? Yeah. So it's not like um working at a factory, you know, and having to do the same thing every day. So you're it's very lucky if you're able to do it, hmm. but it also comes you have to have a really thick skin and be able to take a lot of. I mean. I, that's the one thing I taught my kids first off was you have to be able to take rejection. I mean, you're rejected from film festivals. I mean, that kid was rejected from film festivals after it was
0: bought by Warner Brothers. you on know what, on what basis do you feel that was?
1: No idea. you just don't know why people you know you just don't know um and you can't like you'll drive yourself crazy if you you know there's it's so competitive. I mean one day they could just be looking for something you can't offer, you know, yeah, so even the best movies get a lot of rejection.
0: Do you feel it's interesting that there's a sense of uh competition among filmmaking?
1: I don't. Yeah. You mean among filmmakers?
0: Even then. I mean, because I feel like
1: Oh yeah, it's huge competition to get into festivals, yes. No. But I you know, I feel like friends that I've had that like have gotten into a festival that I don't get into, it's just they're not look you know, they're, they're not looking for you know, like that kid didn't get into Sundance and it got into slam dance and the bat you know a lot of the sundance programmers wrote to me and saying we really loved it but it could we couldn't fit it this year you know and so you know like they have a really hard job too yeah the um festival programmers i mean that's hard you know you you put yourself out there it's stressful um but they they could only pick 18 films out of the ten thousand i think you know and it just wasn't the right fit for them for whatever reason mm. yeah
0: well dana it's been a great chatting thank with you. Thank you. It was we've, fun. We've reached the end.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And,
0: uh, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. fun. Good. Really fun. I, I was so nervous. I was like, oh my God. Like oh my. She 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 finally meets her house. She doesn't know who I am. The beard's gonna scare her off and her kids. It's gonna be awful. Awful. But no. but talking to you, like you put me at ease. Like oh, a minute is like, thank oh thank you. Well yeah, actually, when your, your dog came out barking, <laughs> that, that was something
1: like the dog will kill you and then we'll yeah. be
0: fine. <laughs> but thank you again for talking. Pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me mm